Welcome to the Honest Academics podcast. We are your hosts, Sari and Dorotje, and we have honest conversations about everything related to academia. In today's episode, we're going to talk about airplane wine, imposter syndrome, mean girls, and irritating terminology. Do you remember the first time that you failed at something? Mm, Good question. Um, Yeah, I think I was in elementary school. And I was a good student, so the, the, the main teacher assigned me in, in a poetry competition, so poetry reading. And <laughs> I remember that <laughs> it's totally something that I was not super excited about, but I remember that I wanted to do it because I wanted to be involved in everything. So then um, I had my first practice session with the teacher, and then I was I started to read this poem and then I could just see in her eyes that she didn't (laughs) like it. And then after five minutes, she was like, you know what? Let's just not force this. (laughs) So did you quit with poetry reading? Yes, I quit immediately. (laughs) (laughs) So this is actually pretty similar to something that happened in the first year of my PhD. Um, I had spent about a year preparing my first experiments and... um, gathering kids that wanted to participate in this in the studies and then the results were just so bad like um we couldn't even it wasn't even just the fact that they were not significant we couldn't even really interpret the results Mm. and then i had this meeting with my supervisor and she just said let's not force this research line oh my god that's exactly the same it's exactly the same so did you think about quitting or like, how did you feel? I was so disappointed because it felt like there was just one year of work, you know, wasted. Yeah. But I remember, I think around that time, we decided to take a holiday to Spain together. Mm-hmm. And I think that helped me to persist because yeah. we kind of both felt exhausted and just you know so disappointed with our PhDs and the shared pain was just made it more bearable exactly yeah that's for sure do you remember for you what was the first time that you realized your PhD was not going to be easy yeah I I exactly remember that time Um, half a year in my PhD I took a really long holiday back home in Hungary and I just remember how hard it was for me to go back to the Netherlands to continue because I felt so unmotivated about my project. It was also not really working out. I didn't feel like I was connecting with my colleagues enough to go back. Um, mm. I felt like the project was not leading anywhere and I was really lonely in a new country, completely alone. Mm. Um, yeah, so that was really, really tough. Um, yeah. But then things improved and I pulled through too. I mean, I just finished somehow. Yay. yeah and of course all jokes aside this is a serious matter actually Mm -hmm. Um, I think universally all PhDs around the world would agree that graduate school is pretty tough yeah and we found a survey conducted last year by the journal Nature where they found that 36% of over 6,000 PhD students reported to have sought help for anxiety or depression related to their PhD. So that doesn't even include people who just feel anxious or depressed and don't go to the doctor. That's only people who have actually sought help. So imagine the number. And this is not a fluke finding. This is also echoed by, for example, a national UK survey and research by the University of Amsterdam. What is it about the PhD that gives us such negative emotions? 
if I uh, look at my own project, I think there's basically just a lot of rejection, both during your PhD, maybe when you're presenting at conferences, there's a lot of critical feedback, but also when you receive reviews for papers, there's just no space for positive feedback in, academ in academia. Yeah. So for a recent paper, I uh, was desk rejected four times before it wow. went under review. <laughs> and then it was wow. rejected <laughs> as a review, under review <laughs> at the same time. So basically you're just getting rejected all the time, but at the same time you have, you have to keep an interest in the same subject for yeah. three or four years. And it just seems absurd. I mean, it's like running a marathon while the audience is like, <laughs> and just commenting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on your horrible running style and the pay and your pace and the fact that you're still using SPSS. Yeah, such so, a loser. So this is this is really tough. Yeah, and this is also coupled with that in the early stages there's not much outcome there, so papers take forever to write and I also mean, from the example <laughs> it takes forever to publish. It takes forever to publish and that's even when you get to the point that you have something you can write a paper about because that exactly. takes a while too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then also the probably super familiar imposter syndrome. Yeah. For example, the this is funny. The night before my defense, I was doing pretty fine. But then at some point it just mm -hmm. came to me like, oh, my God, I'm a fraud. I don't know anything about this topic. And then, of course, you know everything about that topic. Yeah, because so, you studied it for four years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like Nelly Furtado all over again. You know, the more you learn, the less, you know, <laughs> such a great quote. <laughs> so if we sum this up, basically a lot of rejection, having to keep an interest in the same thing for a long time, not much outcome, feeling like an imposter. I found a blog called The Thesis Whisperer who referred to it as the Valley of Shit. And I cannot think <laughs> of a more appropriate name. And we are here to tell you that you can get out of the valley because Dory just finished and I am also almost done. So we gathered our thoughts and experiences, and we have eight ways for you to reframe your thinking about your PhD. And we hope that these tips can help you to survive your PhD and keep you sane at the same time. I would like to insert a disclaimer here. Mm -hmm. We are not giving advice on dealing with serious mental illness in this podcast. So we just want to make sure that this is meant for people who are very unmotivated and need some tips on how to move forward. The first time that you experienced some motivation issues in your PhD, what did you do? Yeah, so when I felt like quitting after my amazing summer break, <laughs> first I just tried to remember the fact Was that... Was that when you were in Hungary? Yes, yeah, so that's the same story. Okay. The first thing I did is I just tried, tried to remember the fact that I really wanted to do a PhD before. And I had my reasons. This was a really conscious choice. My main reasons were just I was really interested in science. I was just really interested in discovering something that people don't know yet. And yeah, just research and progress. And then I didn't want to act impulsively. So I didn't want to quit out of just a bad emotional period. So I decided to give myself some time until Christmas. So this was like four months. And every week I just assessed how I felt. And by Christmas, it just got so much better. And one mm -hmm. of the main reasons was because I met you. Yay! <laughs> so all jokes aside, it really helped me a lot to meet like-minded people. And suddenly mm -hmm. there was this, in September, new people came and things got better. 
And yeah. I think the major lesson to learn from this, it just takes a long time to get settled in your new work environment. Yeah, definitely. Like, I remember I started that September. So basically after your horrible yes. motivational <laughs> summer break, <laughs> yeah, I walked into the building and I went to the secretary's office and she directed me to my office. And from that point, I think it took me about a week to even get my computer set up. I also remember that in my first day, uh, I had a, a staff meeting with, with the rest of the department and it, it was in the Netherlands and I didn't speak Dutch. And then the, the staff meeting was in Dutch and they oh, no. had, yeah, so they said one English sentence like, oh, hey, no. this is Dorotjes, she's joining us and she will learn Dutch. Let's switch what? to Dutch now. What? And That's then I crazy. was just sitting there on my very first day, completely new, not knowing anyone. Oh my, oh my yeah, God. It was so, <laughs> so tough. So at what point did they start speaking English to you? Oof, it took a really long time. Well, personally, they spoke English to me, but mm -hmm. I think they didn't change the language of the meetings for a long, long time until another international joined. So that yeah. was good. So even practically, it takes time to get settled and then even more so mentally, like you have to adapt to new work life, new culture, new expectations. Like you were saying, it just takes time to get settled. And in that time, you just have to keep going, you know, keep programming those experiments, collecting participants, presenting shitty results. And if you're in the valley of shit or just feeling really bad about your <laughs> PhD, you're probably not in the best place to judge the value of your work. Um, I think for me, it took me about one and a half years to really feel comfortable in yeah. my PhD project. Um, what really helped me was a mindfulness course that I took uh, mm. after about a year. How did that help? Actually, it helped in two ways. So first of all, I was in that course with a lot of people who were experiencing burnout. And it helped me realize that that was something I really wanted to avoid. <laughs> um, and on the other end, it helped because um, I learned a little bit more to just accept the bad and the good for what they are rather than when it, when something went badly to to really take it personally and just and really yeah. go into that emotion i think the course helped a little bit to just say okay this is really shit but i'm just going to accept it for what it is and not really engage with it too much yeah that's really yeah. good advice so i think this also leads to our first practical point about how you can deal with low motivational phases Our first piece of advice is you don't have to be lonely. You don't have to do this alone. All of us are going through exactly the same experiences. The worst thing you can do is just keep it to yourself and let it out in completely unexpected ways. For instance, we experience so much of negativity from people in the office, like colleagues crying after meetings, being super stressed with really loud sighing in the office. This is just so counterproductive because exactly. you're not you're not sharing. It's just you're just stressed and feeling bad. But actually, when you realize that you're not alone, you can talk about it with your peers and you won't feel so alone with your problem. Yeah. And of course, this can be difficult in an academic environment. It may seem like people are not used to sharing and it's it's just putting yourself in a negative frame if you share something. But it's important to just find at least one person who understands and yeah. shares your experiences too. Exactly. Or you can find a more senior person even in your department who is more embedded and can help you sort of 
find your ways. Yeah, I remember when when Sadi and I started bonding over talking about our shitty experiences, and then we just like everything became so much lighter when when we said it out loud to each other. To just make have a laugh. Fun of just it. have yeah. a laugh. It makes it a lot better. I think the one thing to watch out for is to start victimizing yourself. Mm-hmm. There is a, definitely a culture of complaint in academia where people you know, may perceive themselves as victims of the system and so on. And this <laughs> is really not conducive to feeling any better about yourself or about your work. So to summarize, just share and be open. And laugh with someone. So um, besides finding compadres in your PhD situation. (laughs) I think another strategy for dealing with your PhD is learning how to deal with rejections. Mm -hmm. This took me quite a long time. Uh, I still have difficulties with it. Do you remember your first rejection? So I remember the first time I had a paper that went under review. I got so excited when I logged into the journal, the editorial manager, and I saw that the status had jumped from with editor to under review. It took me about a year to even submit that paper to a journal. So it was really like a huge yeah. journey. And then the review took a long time. It took about six months. The reviews came in. And the first two were actually really positive with very minor suggestions for revision. But the third reviewer didn't believe our effects. The uh, reviewer literally wrote, I have a hard time believing that people in this study did this and this. So I think the manuscript should not be accepted for publication. So the paper got rejected. And not because of like some fundamental error that we made in the experiment or the statistics or whatever, but because someone did not believe in the effects. I was so frustrated and just it felt so unfair, you know? Yeah. How about you? Do you remember your first rejection? Oh, yeah, I remember it really well. I had a very similar experience. My first paper, very, very first paper went under review. So it was not a desk rejection. I was super happy about it. Uh, And then I got it back quite quickly, I think. And then two reviews were okay, But the third one was really, really bad. This special individual, I think many of the listeners will know somehow know who I'm talking about, or especially our colleagues. (laughs) (laughs) But this person just always sign his sign um, their reviews, and they love to aggressively criticize everything. And I just it was really memorable for me because he used such negative language and phrases that are really imprinted in my memory. He was saying something. Yeah, so he was saying something like lack in um, severe lack in scholarship and particularly irritating terminology. Like right now we can laugh about it, but back then I felt really bad. I felt so like oh, horrible. Oh my god, this was my first attempt and I failed already. Yeah, so that was that was not good. So what is actually funny about this story is that that person, the reviewer that you are referring to is now under scrutiny because uh, of a like fraud investigation. Yeah, I saw. I so saw. who <laughs> has the severe lack in scholarship now? Yeah. <laughs> so I think overall in the system, we are just trained to be hypercritical of each other and ourselves. And we're not really trained to say good job or like to acknowledge someone's efforts. Yeah. I think if I look at myself, I 
do the same with my students. If I'm supervising, uh, for example, uh, master students writing a thesis, mm-hmm. I tend to focus my uh, my feedback on their writing more on the negative part. So I just yeah. write, uh, oh, this doesn't make sense, or this argument isn't clear, uh, explain. Or, you know, like I focus on the negative parts. Yeah. And I really have to consciously remember, remind myself that I have to say, you know, this was a really good first draft or something like that, or just to give them some positive feedback. Yeah, well, if it was actually good, but... Yeah, true. I mean, sometimes <laughs> it's just, you know, very irritating terminology and lack of scholarship. Yeah, severe. <laughs> These are structural problems, so as there's not much we can do about it. One thing to mm. approach this is just to understand the numbers behind it. For instance, in one of the journals, 85% of papers get rejected. So this is, of course, different based on on journal and field. So actually, rejection is the norm. Exactly. Yeah. I also, what I started doing uh, was to focus more on the goal that I had control over. So I decided for myself to just say that when I finish a manuscript and I submit it, that's the final goal and you can celebrate. And then actually the publication process, you just don't really have control over it anyway. So just let it go. And once it gets published, that's like a nice after party. Exactly. This is a really important point. Try to focus on things that you can control. The next one is the well-known issue of feeling unproductive and not being able to produce outcomes. And especially at the beginning, this is a really big issue. And we talked about uh, this in our first episode. So if you're interested, you can just go back and listen to our first episode. But basically what we were saying is try to get involved in as many things as possible to feel productive and have an outcome. You can start side projects, collaborations, extra teaching, freelancing, volunteering, just get involved. Um, In addition, something that we didn't mention there was um, something called Pomodoro. Um, It's a strategy for working where you divide up your time in blocks of half an hour where you work for 25 minutes and take five minute breaks and you set very specific goals for those 25 minutes. Um, That's really cool. Yeah, this is really useful to um, at least create some kind of small achievements for yourself. If you're feeling Mm -hmm. like you're not achieving anything, this can just help to, you know, get a sense of achievement. I think we should move to number four. Another strategy for um, helping you go through the valley of shit is to decouple the PhD from your identity. Dory and I, during our second year, were in this bar and a song came up, uh, Rocket Man by Elton John. And we uh, recognized a line from the song where he goes, all the science, I don't understand. It's just a job five days a week. And we realized this is going to be our mantra. Yeah. PhD, it's just a job five days a week. Um, do you remember the first time I came to you when I had so-called bad data, when my data were not uh, confirming the hypotheses? Yeah. And you said, you're not your data. And that was just <laughs> so helpful to just decouple your PhD project from your own identity. The fact that your experiment fails or succeeds doesn't mean anything about you as a person. And this is really hard because doing a PhD becomes a part of your identity. For instance, after defending my PhD, I just suddenly had all this mental space. 
What do you mean with mental space? I mean that I just had a lot of free time and not necessarily time-wise because I think I always managed to have clear boundaries, mm -hmm. but more like just not having thoughts in the back of my mind about my PhD, like living the life in a way that there is no <laughs> guilt. There is no guilt of, oh, I should be doing something way more useful, mm -hmm. like writing my dissertation. So was it different, like coming home during your PhD and then after? How yes. can you describe the difference? Yeah. So I think after, during my PhD, every time I came home, even though I try to leave at five or six every day, mm -hmm. I just still had thoughts about my PhD, like, where is this going? What am I going to do with it? Mm -hmm. When is my next paper going to get accepted? How many publications I'm going to have? Am I good enough? And so on and so on. Mm -hmm. And after that, I came home and it was suddenly nothing of this. And then I also just didn't know what to do with my free time at the first couple of weeks. Like, oh, I can just go to yoga and meet friends and be free. <laughs> it was a really... <laughs> It was a really weird um, shift. Was it like positive or did yes. you also miss it? It was it was 80% positive and 20% okay. of a little bit of, of grief, of, of losing something, you know? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. losing a part of your identity because it just, it, it really builds inside you. I think one way to deal with this is to, as I was mentioning, create boundaries. Doing a PhD is often not a nine to five job. And in general, academia is not nine to five. But mm -hmm. just readjust your attitude. It could be a nine-to-five job, as um, Elton John says. <laughs> so finish work at five or six and go for a walk with a friend, make an engagement, go to the gym, go to yoga, go to do meditation, something. Of course, not everyone loves yoga and meditation, but just do something that that mm -hmm. you really enjoy. I think this that's pretty, uh, it's a tough part of the PhD is that there's a lot of freedom so that can be positive because you can decide what time you arrive in the office uh, and what time you go home. But at the same time, it can also make it difficult to motivate yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so I've heard people, uh, for example, who made a deal with their office mates to be in the office between 10 and 4. And this helps a little bit with feeling a bit more accountable, feeling like you need to be there. Um, or I decided to um, have weekly meetings with my advisor to feel a bit more accountable. Mm -hmm. So this helped to give a bit of structure, like a sort of regular job structure. And this also helps um, when I'm when I am free, I actually feel like I'm free and I don't yeah. feel like, oh, actually, maybe I should be doing this analysis again or something like that. Yeah, yeah. We should move on to number five. And yes. number five relates to imposter syndrome and social pressure. Our suggestion is just stop, stop comparing yourself with others and their progress. Each of us are very different and we all have unique talents and interests. Capitalize on your own interest. Maybe you are great at coding, but not great at public speaking. And it's totally fine. Or the other way around. Exactly. Do you ever feel less than other people in your job? Yeah, I, I definitely felt like that during my PhD very often. Mm -hmm. there, I think there is a lot of um, shaming going on with not knowing certain analysis techniques or theories or not being able to publish in high impact factor journals or something. How yeah. about you? Yeah, so it's the same for me. Um, I think there's definitely this norm of having to do, for example, your analysis in certain ways. And there are mm -hmm. definitely, there were 
situations where people were talking about a certain statistical analysis and then I would admit using SPSS sometimes. And wow. people would be like, what? You don't Ooh. even know R? <laughs> yeah, it's like Mean Girls, you know? Yeah, I remember phrases like, how can, be, how can she be so successful? She doesn't even know R. It's just so ridiculous because we're all super smart and it's about the effort that you put in and the process of learning. And it's just so annoying to me that people treat each other this way. We can move on to number six, difficulties with advisors and supervisors. Oh, this is a good one. And this is a big one. Um, yeah. We both we both talk to PhDs in our environment. Um when rec before recording this podcast to ask them what were the issues on their mind. And this was one of the main things that came up all the time. Um, so we will spend an entire episode on this in the future. If you have any questions or any thoughts about this, please let us know at honestacademicspodcast at gmail.com. Um, but maybe to just be really brief about this, what you see is that supervisors are on the papers but they don't actually contribute. Yeah. And on a bigger scale, there are plenty of examples of supervisors who, for example, ask you to work on the weekend. Do you, did you ever experience like any problems with your supervisors? So I had a supervisor who was involved in the beginning, but sort of dropped out after a year or so and mm -hmm. just... I think I met with my advisor maybe once in a period of a year. Luckily, though, a new professor got appointed to our department and he was willing to take me on as a PhD student so I could change advisors. That's so really I got lucky. Nice. Yeah, yeah, and he's extremely involved and gives great feedback. So I got very lucky. What's especially difficult, I think what's really difficult with the advisor-PhD relationship is that we as PhD students are very dependent on them for our career and our publications mm -hmm. and so on. So it just gives a really weird power dynamic. Like if you have an advisor who is just sort of checked out of your project, doesn't really care, that's so bad for your motivation because yeah. they really give structure and meaning to your project. I think what's really important here is that you can definitely communicate how you feel and your concerns to your supervisors. It's important yes. to be vulnerable. Of course, don't overdo it. So it's fine mm -hmm. to say, I feel this and this. I would like to change this and this. And my goals are X, Y, Z. Um, of course, you shouldn't overdo it. So you should not start <laughs> complaining and crying at the meetings. Of course, at it's least totally fine to cry, but just... Maybe at home yeah. or with a yeah. friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe that's too harsh to say for us. Well, anyways, um, it's totally fine to, to communicate your feelings, but make sure to communicate your goals and how they can help you to change. Just be constructive in your yeah. communication with your advisor. And what's also important to remember is that there's always a third person. So there's always some confidentiality advisor or some grad yeah. school coordinator that you can go to and talk to in confidence about mm -hmm. issues that you may have with your supervisor. I think we will move to number seven, which is mm -hmm. really important. And we are both uh, really excited about this. And that's experience the positive parts of life too. Mm -hmm. 
celebrate. Yay! So sometimes the rewards can come really late in academia. Um, for example, my boyfriend is also in academia and he was just telling me after his defense how he still didn't fully process that he's a doctor now and then he did his PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's very common for us to feel like this. And imposter syndrome pushes us to attribute the positive outcomes to circumstances like, oh, but this happens to everyone like this. No, it's not. We are really it's really special to do your PhD. It's really it's a great thing. And it's important to think through the positive experience of submitting a paper, getting accepted to a conference, facilitating a collaboration and so on. How did you celebrate these achievements? Yeah, I think it was really hard because our mind just doesn't work like that. So I I consciously put effort in really sitting down. For instance, when one of my paper was accepted, just sitting down and really fully immersing in the experience of of success. And I think another way to do this is just maybe to go to like have a, just to have a bottle of wine in the office (laughs) for, um, for For like achievements. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then just meet your friends and um, and really celebrate it. I think that's yeah. what we did quite often. And yeah. we also just decided to go sometimes for a massage or for a spa evening or something. And that just really helped to to wind down. Exactly. But my favorite was definitely that our canteen sold these like tiny airplane bottles of wine. <laughs> Whenever we had a small thing to celebrate, we would just go down yeah. and get ourselves a little airplane wine and... <laughs> Yes, this this helped so much. Number eight. I think it's really, really normal to start being really excited about your PhD, losing motivation, gaining it back again. The whole journey of the PhD is about accepting and deciding for yourself what is your maximum level of feeling unhappy with it. Yeah, I agree. It is really important to experience the low and the high too. And to understand that it's normal. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Honest Academics podcast. We hope you found it useful and it will help you to survive the valley of shit. If you liked the episode, don't forget to subscribe and please share it with your fellow academics and friends. We'll be back soon with more episodes. If you have any questions or comments, please let us know at honestacademicspodcast at gmail.com. See you next time. Our jingle is Celebration by Kevin McLeod. The link and license can be found in the podcast description.